0: In this week's episode, I'm joined by Michael Neese, author of In Kind and director of the Gilead Programming Academy. This week, our conversation is about Bob's Red Mill, Lyft, Greece legalizing marriage equality, and much more. Hey there, my name is Bernadette Smith. Welcome to Five Things in 15 Minutes, my weekly show where I bring good vibes to DEI. That is good vibes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, with a little dash of corporate social responsibility. What I've found is that there are lots of news stories about what's going wrong in the world and lots of negative data, but there are also a lot of things going right. That's what I like to focus on. I search for DEI stories that we can be inspired by and learn from. My hope is to inspire you to experiment with some of these inclusive actions and policies within your own organization to help you build a more inclusive world. Let's get started. Michael, thank you so much for joining me on today's show. Will you tell folks a little bit about yourself?
1: Thanks for having me here, Bernadette. Sure. Uh, Yes, I have just written a book called In Kind, Consciously Craft a Meaningful Life and Career. And it's all about how to find success in the business world by projecting kindness, by being kind, by living your values. And, of course, a big part of that is lifting others, right? You Mm. can't be kind if you're only thinking of yourself. On the other hand, of course, you also do have to think of yourself and try to do some self-care as well. So I highlight all of those things in my book uh, with some practical solutions. Um, and as you mentioned, I do work at Gilead Sciences and I run the uh, programming academy there. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm excited to be here.
0: Thank you, Michael. You know, I'm just curious, have you always been kind? Has it always been something that's sort of come to you innately or was it been a little bit of a journey?
1: I am sure that there are people who are just like looking at the internet and noticing my name and seeing in kind and going, what does this guy know about kindness? Right. Because there are so many times that I think, as much as we have these values, as much as we try to live them, we're going to get it wrong sometimes. Right. I mean, it's just going to happen. But I, I think that's the beauty in all of it is that as long as you are well intentioned, if you step off the path of integrity, that's a great time to note what is the path and how to get back on it. Yeah. So yeah, no, I've gotten it wrong so many times and uh, and I've learned a lot from those lessons for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it's a journey for me as well. I mean, just from my own personal experience, I feel like imposter syndrome got in the way of my kindness, my genuine kindness for part of my career. I feel like, um, you know, kind of a lack of confidence, power issues, you know, there are all these kinds of barriers that I can think about in my past, which, which have made me, um, not optimally kind, (laughs) you know, but the older and wiser we get, I think we can come back to that a little more easily.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we're emotional creatures, uh, who try to have logic once in a while. And so I think some of those very legitimate emotions are fear of retribution or fear of being belittled or, you know, Mm -hmm. having unkind actions being exhibited upon us. Right. And so, yeah, no, I think it's, it makes sense that we're going to kind of hide ourselves once in a while and not be the best versions of ourselves.
0: Well, I know that some folks are going to check out your book and I am excited for them to do so. And I got to check it out myself. I will be honest, but will you please give a tip or two on how we can sort of come back to kindness when it's something that seems to be drifting away
1: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, the first thought that comes to mind is uh, self kindness, Mm -hmm. possible to be at your very best kindest self if your battery is really low. And so if you've not been getting enough sleep, you've been burning midnight oil, you're not eating right, because you feel like you're under pressure to get deadlines, you know, and yeah, then I I think it's easy to neglect ourselves. Sure. I did that and had a very bad health crisis in April of last year while I was writing this book and I mm. write about it in the book. So yeah, self-care, I think that's a, that's a really big thing. The other idea of using kindness in the workplace that I love telling people about that a lot of people haven't really thought about is that kindness is a data collection mechanism. Mm. Right? So if I'm kind to you and you're kind back, that's great. We've had the best kind of in-kind interaction. If I'm kind to somebody else and they're not kind back Mm. data, it doesn't mean that I have to start turning off my kindness. It means I can still be kind to that person. And then if they're mean again, I can still be kind to that person. It doesn't mean that I'm a pushover. It means that I'm figuring out, is this person having a bad day or a bad Mm. in their lives or are they pretty toxic? And is this somebody that I'm going to eventually have to protect myself from? Sure. throwing mean words at me, they can do that a few times. And it's, you know, I can take a few on the chin, not a big deal. We're all strong and handle a few things. Sure. Um, but I, you know, it, it's a great data collection mechanism. And that's, that's yeah. one of the reasons that I say, you know, kill them with kindness, right? You mm. always keep on offering it out.
0: That's great. I, I think that that's, um, it kind of goes along with the Dalai Lama and and what he says in the book of joy, which is about the concept of wise, selfish, And that's essentially like the more you give, the more you receive. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's okay to be selfish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah.
0: Um, So I think that 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 sort of goes along with that. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your work with Gilead Programming Academy?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, In the Programming Academy, we act as a talent pipeline for uh, new programmers who are coming into the pharma space, specifically at Gilead. So it's usually new grads. We do also sometimes have interns. So sometimes it's people who are still in the middle of a degree program. And it's it's really exciting work. I love doing it. Um, one of the big facets of this work is that we always, every single time we hire, we always make sure that we have a slate of diverse candidates. We always make sure about that before we make any decisions. Because you can find very talented people from all kinds of backgrounds, mm-hmm. but you have to look you know, and and you have to know how to look, and so we're we've gotten really good at that. Uh, we have an amazing talent uh, acquisition team, and uh, so I, I love working with them.
0: So when folks come into the the space and they're new employees, do they then go kind of directly into the programming academy if that's their job within their job description, or how does that process work?
1: Yeah, so these are typically very early early career folks. So These are folks that we're looking for who have a programming language maybe it's SAS programming language, maybe it's just something else like Python or R or SQL or something like that. And then if they're really, truly invested in patient outcomes, boy, do I want to talk to them. And so, uh, yeah, essentially, they once they're hired, they just come into our academy, they work with myself and two other chief instructors, and uh, and we get them ready. You know, We take four to six to eight months to try to get them ready for a programming team. And mm-hmm. Uh, and then once they get assigned to a programming team, then we work very extensively with that team to make sure that it's a good landing spot, to make sure that they still have what they need, they're still getting some training along the way, and that the, you know, the new supervisor also kind of knows what it's like to work with early talent. You know, uh, some of these 25, 26-year-olds, uh, they it's a, it's a different mindset.
0: Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like there could be a little bit of a reverse mentorship uh, happening subconsciously as well.
1: We all learn from each other.
0: For <laughs> That's sure. great. All right. Well, in this week's Five Things newsletter, I wrote about a new client, which is an architecture firm. And the firm has a vision to help communities build their future, which I absolutely love. And a lot of their work is in historical preservation. And when I met with the president a couple of weeks ago, they said to me, when we see an old building, we don't want to make assumptions about what's possible. And that really resonated with me. We don't want to make assumptions about what's possible within an old building. We should not be making assumptions about what's possible with the people on our team, the people who are potentially interviewing with us. I think that it's a really interesting, you know, reminder that we don't want to make assumptions about people. And it certainly sounds like that's something that is part of what you're doing with the programming academy is really giving folks an opportunity to show their potential without making assumptions about what's possible for them.
1: Well, yeah, they come in the door and they are from all different kinds of backgrounds. And it would be so easy to just superimpose my own perspectives and my own attitudes, my own ideas of who they are and what they act like and and all of that. And what I find is that I learn from all of the students who come through the academy every day. Mm -hmm. I'm learning something new. And, and it's great. It's really positive because it teaches me a little bit more about, you know, like, what does it mean to be in a workspace, in a modern place, and maybe not be a white male who's in that space. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. It's, it is a wonderful idea and attitude that we should be listening a lot. And we should be, you know, gathering that data and trying to understand rather than just make assumptions and make guesses.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's also important as you are framing these conversations, especially folks who are trying to influence others on uh, issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, to come back to your organization's values, to your guiding principles, to the things that are sort of more macro than DEI, because I think there's very much a way that's connected. And in the case of this firm, you know, their vision about helping communities build their futures, not directly connected to Dei, but it is connected because you know the future is increasingly diverse. It does require a better sense of equity and inclusion. And so it's all connected, and I think it's important to kind of make those links for folks so that you have more people to be uh, going on this mission with you.
1: Well, and, and we pick up so many fun things along the way, right? I mean, you That's have right. more friends when you try to include more people.
0: That's right. All right, well, let's get into this week's good vibes. The first story this week comes from Major League Baseball, where Jenny Kavnar made history as the first woman to serve as the lead play-by-play announcer for a Major League Baseball club the Oakland A's. Now, Jenny brings 18 years of broadcast experience, Emmy, five Emmy awards, but is still making a major milestone. Now, she has broadcast play-by-play before, but never been the lead announcer. So this is a pretty big deal at a very, very white, very straight sport. Major League Baseball is very, very white and very, very male as well.
1: Yeah, I I think it's fantastic. Um, It reminds me of... Uh, my own mom, if we can go there. Sure. Uh, yeah my uh, my mom was a uh, PhD scientist and worked in virology labs over at Duke University. Really smart, and that's just who I grew up with. Mm-hmm. So I assumed that all scientists were going to be women. Um, mm-hmm. But of course she she corrected me and told me no, they can be anybody, you know. So so I I, I think this is just fantastic that Jenny Kavnar is uh, finally getting this you know pole position so to
0: speak. Absolutely. And, you know, hopefully she will be a possibility model for other women to come. Got to break these uh, glass ceilings.
1: Great to see the representation. Otherwise, you don't know it's possible. So, yeah.
0: Exactly right. Okay. The second story this week comes from the country of Greece, which became the 35th country in the world out of 195 to legalize same-sex marriage. It's the first Christian Orthodox majority country to do so. And they've also legalized adoption by same-sex couples. Very big deal, um, and I can imagine there's going to be a lot of fabulous gay weddings on Mykonos.
1: <laughs> well, um, and it's wonderful, right? Uh, you know the the idea that humans can be seen in the same ways as each other, you know, it's uh, it's fantastic.
0: Absolutely, and you know what? There will people who are uh, longtime listeners will know that there are stories that show up that are like, you know, what? It's about damn time, and there are a lot of those stories. Country number thirty-five. Yes, it's about damn time. But there are also a lot of ways, a lot of, a lot of countries to go. So I'm going to keep celebrating the wins.
1: And for it to be a beacon of this kind of change in Europe is a fantastic thing because if it's possible in Greece, then it's possible in other countries that are nearby that maybe have been more hesitant.
0: So. Mm-hmm, exactly. All right. The third story this week comes from Mamava, a company that developed lactation pods. Following the enactment of the Pump Act, Mamava has experienced a 30% growth in usage and now has 4,000 plus pods installed nationwide, including a car dealership called Fowler Automotive, which is in 11 states, has a pod in every state that it's located, which has helped increase employee diversity and retention. I think this is fabulous.
1: Yeah, when we uh, first established a site in central North Carolina for Gilead, those who were designing what each of the floor plans should look like made sure that out of the three floors, we have two mother's rooms that are luxurious, that, you know, have a very nice seat and have, the you know, a sink and a, a lockable door and a refrigerator and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, it's I think it's critical for everybody's mental health to feel like they're not going to be criticized, they're not going to be judged, that they can just be who they need to be in that moment mm-hmm. and, you know, not be somehow gendered or somehow uh, have the microscope over them.
0: Yeah, we wanna make sure this is normalized and not just for lactating mothers, but for lactating parents, because some trans men and non-binary folks lactate as well and so and have new babies. So we I think it's really important to make sure that we kind of normalize this because it's it should be, right? And that's how you're gonna see it's kind of the the benefits that companies are looking for, like employee retention.
1: Yeah, well, and that it just contributes to the mental health of everybody. Mm-hmm. It's not just the people who visit that pod, right? It's everybody else as well. So
0: exactly. All right. The fourth story this week comes from Lyft, which after a successful pilot program has nationally expanded its feature, pairing women and non-binary riders with similar. Drivers. So only 23% of Lyft drivers are women, despite women being half of all riders. So, what Lyft is trying to do is create a win win to attract more women and non binary drivers who then have more earning power by creating a more comfortable and secure environment for them by allowing riders to prioritize matches with them. So, it's sort of creating a win win that's really all focused about safety. Lyft of course is benefiting by having more drivers sign up and that means more earning power for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean, this builds the future that I wanna live in, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is a first step in that direction. It's a shame that we have to do this to yep. make everybody feel more safe, but good golly, it's, it's time for us to be doing that because people don't feel safe. So yeah, uh, and, and, I, and I should volunteer. I'm the parent of a non-binary child. Mm. And just knowing that this kid is going to potentially be in safer hands, knowing that they're going to be cared about and cared for in this way. I mean, now suddenly, uh, I'm looking at Lyft and going, ok, that's that's the company I'm going to call first.
0: How about that? That's exactly. That's see people pay attention. Thank you first of all, thank you for sharing that, Michael. And I think it just shows how, allies have so much power. So um, so thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that. And you're illustrating how, you know, how much it matters to shop with your values.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the the, uh, the dollar speaks. And That's in this right. case, I'm not going to be handing it off to people that I think don't have my kids' best interests at heart.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. And the last story this week comes from Bob's Red Mill. Which makes whole grain products. Bob Moore, the founder, recently passed away at the age of 94, but in 2010 he established an employee stock ownership plan for its employees, and the company remains 100% employee owned with 700 plus employees. Very rare, um, which is why it makes five things, and it's amazing that he sort of led in this way, and and the employees can continue to live his legacy.
1: I Yeah, I use uh, Bob's Red Mill uh, products. My wife uh, likes gluten-free things to be in our lives, and so uh, we've used the Red Mill uh, for a long time. Um, and I should just say, wow, what a great example of having the philosophical underpinnings of a company matching the personal why. Uh, you know, I mean, gosh, look how powerful this is. Mm-hmm you know if you have people who are that excited about it that they want to invest in it and they keep working there for a very long time i mean it just it 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 speaks i think to one of the basic things that we all need that we don't talk about enough which is alignment of purpose so that we also then have good mental and psychological and emotional health
0: mm-hmm.
1: if you're showing up to work and you don't know why you're there you know you don't know why you're working on a project or a task that is some misalignment that gets inside you and hurts. And Mm. so, yeah, so um, very sad about Bob Moore passing away, but uh, really nice to be able to highlight his company.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Michael. I've really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, How can folks stay in touch with you?
1: Uh, Easy way is to get onto LinkedIn and just look for me. Um, And also you can go to inkindbook.com. Also, OurFutureIsKind.com. Either one of those will get you to me.
0: Awesome. Well, folks, check out Michael's book. This week's call to action is that it is currently Lunar New Year, the year of the dragon. And you can learn more about this tradition in the DEI double feature I co-hosted with Lisa Ong last month. And I'm going to put the YouTube link in the show notes and in the comments here on LinkedIn. Folks, if you don't already get the Five Things newsletter, you can subscribe at Five Things. DEI.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, Michael. Thank you folks for watching and listening. I hope you have a great week. Thank you for listening to 5 Things in 15 Minutes. I hope you found yourself inspired by at least one of this week's stories. If you did, would you mind sharing it with a colleague and leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform? And if you don't already get my 5 Things newsletter, join at fivethingsdei.com. I'm Bernadette Smith, and I'll see you next week right here for 5 Things in 15 Minutes, bringing good vibes to DEI.